Welcome to Steelcast, Tata Steel UK's podcast about all things related to steel. Our processes, our products, our customers, our people and our communities. In this latest series, we're talking to industry experts about climate change, sustainability and decarbonisation. In the first episode, we went back to basics and talked carbon. What is it? Why does it impact the climate? And what are its sources, man-made and natural? In this second episode, we'll venture further into current steelmaking processes, the role of carbon, and talk about some of the many things Tata Steel UK is already doing to reduce its own operational carbon footprint, as well as that of its supply chain partners and its products in use. I'm delighted to be joined today by our resident expert on energy optimization, Paul Wheeler. Paul, a very warm welcome to the pod. Very grateful to have you along. There's a lot of ground to cover today, but uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk about. We talked with uh, Pete uh, Quinn, colleague of yours, in the last episode about this ever-growing global population. You know, it's ever-growing need for want or need, whichever you define for consumables. But we're kind of in a world which everything's it's either made with steel, machines made of steel, or it's made of steel, you know, and, and, and right right down to raw materials. You look at the drills and the diggers to take raw materials out of the ground, the machines that make anything and everything these days. You know, you've got lorries, you've got ships, planes, trains, automobiles, to coin a phrase, to transport people and goods around around the world to work and to, to holidays and so forth. We've got the buildings that we live in, the buildings that we work in, even down to things like, you know, fridges and cookers in our kitchen and the cans on our shelves that preserve and protect the food and drinks that we consume. Steel literally, literally is everywhere, isn't it? It is, it is Tim. Uh, it's a good point. And, and I think it's going to become even more needed uh, in society. I think uh, you, you talked last time with Pete about, um, you know, how we how we transition in climate change and the need to decarbonise. And I think when we look at what is required to support decarbonisation, steel is right through the middle of it. Yeah. Um, we've had uh, studies done that that suggest that um, the energy transition, for example, so how we as society, um, how we generate the energy that we need to live, that uh, to decarbonise that is, is something that we call the energy transition. Yeah. Studies suggest that of all the materials that are needed to support that, to implement those those new technologies, steel is the most crucial to all of those. So it, it, it very much is required for society, yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. It was, a, it was a McKinsey report, wasn't it? It was quite extraordinary. Across the top, it had all of the different uh, ways of transitioning to renewable energy or decarbonising, whether it was nuclear or wind power or solar or electric vehicles. And then they had all the materials down the side and said, which is, you know, low, medium or high importance. And steel was top of the pack, wasn't it? It was highly important in every single application. It was extraordinary. It was indeed, yes. Everyone, yes, that's right. So we're conscious that steel is important in, in those energy transition pieces. But, you know, the world is not in a place yet where it can be solely reliant on things like renewable energy, isn't it? Because there was, there was another article uh, out recently and it was saying about how steel and, and coal and therefore carbon were essential in getting to that place. So we've, we've almost got to get over a hump, haven't we, of, of where we're going to be using, you know, more more steel or more coal or more carbon before before it gets better. What's the trade-off there, Paul? It's a good point, Tim. It's, um, it is worth exploring that because 
it's it's often something that's used to say, you know, we, we can't get away from using carbon. And I think uh, initially, right, um, we, we're not in a position where whole supply chains have, have yet decarbonized. We, as a steel company, we're, we're not yet in a position where we, you know, we've, we've decarbonized and there's a long way to go on that. But for example, um, one thing that's often cited is, um, I guess you mentioned wind turbines. Yeah. Yeah, some some people say about well that needs steel and it needs a lot of carbon to produce that wind turbine. So that surely you know how does that square off? You know, yeah. well, well when when you look at uh, the details of of how a, a wind turbine is produced and the carbon that's gone into to making that steel to that wind turbine, that is very quickly offset by um, the net impact that it has. So. What it does is it, it displaces, or it means that you don't have to emit CO two to produce energy, whereas typically you, you might use um, coal fired power stations or natural gas fired power stations. Yeah. So putting that turbine in place from a CO two perspective, it pays back in a matter of months, and and that's initially with the with the supply chains that we have now in terms of the you know the carbon that they emit. If you look at you know the future scenarios, we'll be creating things like wind turbines, and hopefully, um, within the next 10, 20 years, we, we'll have decarbonized ourselves, and and the contribution therefore from the steel industry will will be a lot lower. So I think yeah. it's a positive message now, but it will get even more positive message of a positive message the more that we decarbonize and society does as a whole. Yeah, but a short-term pain for long-term gain, or not even that long-term, if, if the if the benefits come around so quickly. But of course, we're not our, on our own steel as a as a material. It's not on our own. There are lots of competing materials, aren't they? But you know, steel must have some inherent properties that put it pretty favourably amongst other materials, even going you know long-term. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, we mentioned about the critical role it's got to play. It's it's already playing a critical role in in society. But you're right, we we do compete with with other materials, you know, aluminium, plastic, concrete. But I think the the positive message about steel is that it's it's a hundred percent recyclable. Yeah. So the you know as many times as you recycle it, it doesn't diminish, and you, and you couldn't say that about a lot of other materials. It's very strong. It's versatile. It's relatively low energy and, and yeah. cost as well. So it has a lot going for it. Yeah. But um, I think we also need to understand the the role it plays. Um, you know, from a CO two perspective, currently um, the steel industry globally is responsible for about eight or nine percent yeah. of CO two emissions. And it, so we do we do have to recognise the the contribution that we are making to uh, you know to societal um, issues at the moment. And and to put it in context, our Port Talbot plant. Um, accounts for maybe 15 to 20 percent of, of the co2 emissions in wales so we are significant yeah um, and i guess the challenge for us as a society is is really how to have our cake and and, and to eat it as well so how do we you know how do we produce that steel that, that um, supports uh, the energy transition decarbonization while also decarbonizing ourselves as well yeah and that's the challenge for us as a steel industry, for governments, not just in the UK, around the world and for society generally. You know, I don't think anyone can envisage a society without steel. So the trick is to say, well, how do you how do you have the benefits of that 
as you said, you know, um, low energy, fully recyclable, you know, strong material without it impacting on the environment. And, you know, maybe that's a good point, Paul, to start discussing in a bit more detail the different ways in which steel can be made uh, and the role of carbon in those different processes before, you know, either in this pod or later pods, we go on to, you know, some of the ways of, of negating that impact and the technologies that might uh, that might change that scenario. Sure. Yeah. OK, so let, let's give it some scale. So I think let, let's talk globally at first. Then. So yeah. roughly two billion tonnes of steel are made every year across the world. Um, so you can see it's, you know, it's, it's a significant material. Um, and around um, 85% of, of that steel um, is, is currently recycled. So it is, as I mentioned, it is very recyclable um, in a global context, around 630 million tonnes a year. So it is, it is significant what is done already. Um, and there are two fundamental ways of, of making steel, um, either the blast furnace route um, or, or the electric arc furnace route. And currently the mix, I believe, is around 70% uh, of global steel production is, is through the blast furnace route. And uh, one of the reasons for that is um, there, there is not enough scrap available in the world to support uh, full, full recycling. And... It's going to be like that for some time. So um, I think forecasts are that by 2050 of the 2 billion tonnes that uh, that will be required globally, mm. only 50% of that will be able to be made from recycled content. So we, we still, as a society, we still have this demand for steel that's produced from, from uh, raw materials, from yeah. iron ore. And I guess I guess that's understandable, isn't it? Not only is society growing, and we talked in the last pod about how, you know, growth of people is is uh, is almost exponential. So society is growing, therefore its needs are growing. So you've got an increased amount, but also some steel. I guess in in girders for high-rise buildings, that doesn't get recycled. It just gets made, and it stays there for long periods of time. Or some of it's not in a form it gets recycled. So we're we're always going to be in a place where some of it's going to be required from from virgin materials, aren't we? For the foreseeable future, that's right. I think for for things like construction steels, yes, they have longer time in use. So it might a building might be forty years before that comes back into this recycled content. But uh, but yeah, that 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 is the picture for some time to come. So yes, the the world is going to need um, blast furnaces or or ways of of making steel from from raw materials, um, but also supported by uh, improved. Um, recycling and recycled content yeah because the blast furnace route although you know the, the, those who aren't involved in the steel industry may not realize the blast furnace route does already utilize some scrap in its processes though in, in this in the steel making process doesn't it it does and that's a good point Tim we, we are a, a big steel recycler uh, in Tata Steel so it's uh, we have the capacity to use uh, recycled steel in our processes, and, and, and we do that to, to good effect. We're always trying to understand how we can improve that and, and do more. But it is worth remembering that uh, in, again, in a UK context, the amount of scrap that we recycle is comparable to to um, other steel manufacturers that produce solely with arc furnaces. So yeah. that gives an idea of the scale of the recycling that we already do. Yeah, yeah, and I think in the UK we're we're well used to blast furnaces. You know, there's there's uh, two in two in Portal, but another four up in Scunthorpe. But there are also electric arc furnaces in in the UK. They tend to be more specialist uh, 
I know Rotherham's got one, for example. But that's the other technology that's the sort of the well-known technology. Maybe you could just explain a bit how they work. Yeah, sure. So, well, let, let's start with blast furnaces. So, um, typically, we have uh, well, we we have two blast furnaces, as you say, and that is the primary means that we um, generate the or produce the steel that that we require through our supply chain in Tata Steel UK. And I guess to to bring that back to to carbon and and how that works and the CO two. Yeah element of it um, we we would say that um, the the use or the production of, of uh, steel uh, and and how um, co2 interacts with that production we would say that is produced really as a or it is used as a reductant yeah Pete talked in I think in your in your first podcast about uh, the use of fossil fuels um, as, as fuels. One thing we would say about uh, the, the blast furnace process is it, it is the the carbon content is there to reduce the iron ore, so it is it is a chemical reductant. Yeah, uh, and for, for, for the non-chemists in the audience, yeah. I guess you know we we always tend to make a point that you know this isn't we're not putting carbon in the blast furnace to, to set it on fire and and produce heat to melt the iron. There's a sort of a, there's a chemical reaction, isn't there, between the carbon and the the iron ore, isn't it? So the, ch- the challenge really is uh, converting the iron ore or the iron oxide uh, into pure iron. So we need to split the oxygen uh, from the iron. How we do that is on, on the heat and pressure, we use uh, carbon. Um, and in, in a blast furnace, this is in the form of coal and coke. So we add coal and coke to the process. Uh, and the um, oxygen atoms uh, stick to the carbon. And at the end of that process, we have a gas which is rich in uh, carbon monoxide and and carbon dioxide. We can then uh, use that gas to, uh, we can combust it to create energy and and reduce the amounts of uh, of energy that we get in terms of electricity or natural gas, and we use it in our processes as well as heat, actually, we produce steam with it as well. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the basics of, of how, a, how carbon flows through through our blast furnace. Yeah, so it's important to remember, isn't it, that the carbon in the blast furnace, it's not like we're setting fire to it and it's, and it's creating the heat to melt the iron. There's a chemical reaction going on inside the blast furnace. That's exactly right. So we're not using it as a fuel. It is purely there as a chemical reductant. There are other alternatives that are being looked at, and, and hydrogen has been mentioned previously. I think that's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, that that is the traditional route that we use um, currently for the blast furnace. Yeah, and without um, getting into that detail, because I think it probably isn't the the subject of another podcast about hydrogen. But one of the, one of the things I was slightly struggle with is that the carbon in the blast furnace actually it it creates a physical structure. Uh, for the material in the blast furnace as, as well as just being a reductant and I don't I can't quite work out how hydrogen would replace that some someone once described to me the uh, the molten bit at the bottom of a blast furnace is like a bowl of rice krispies with the with the coke being the rice krispies and the liquid iron being the uh, the milk so it's, it's, that is a good point so yes as well as as well as the uh, as using it as a as a chemical reductant it, it does provide the structure so that the coke that, uh, that that is added there it does support the, the whole burden yeah um, but like you say we currently that off gas is is currently that doesn't go straight to air does it it's, it's kind of recycled first already isn't it it is we make good use of it so we we collect it uh it's current so it comes off as 
mainly carbon monoxide and, and some carbon dioxide, and we, we're able to combust that gas either in other processes uh, or at our power plant on site in Port Talbot to, to generate electricity and steam and heat that, that is needed for other processes as well. So all of that reduces the amount of electricity and natural gas that we have to import from, from the grid. Yeah. And so that's kind of explains very simply the blast furnaces and the, and the role of carbon in the blast furnaces. But electric arc furnaces is the other major technology. So they don't generally, as I understand it, use many, many or any virgin materials. It's, it's all scrap. So that's got to be better for the environment, hasn't it? Well, uh, yes, they do use scrap. Um, and, and I think when you look at the direct carbon emission, yes, it, it significantly does reduce direct emissions but I guess I'd, I'd bring it back to the where we picked up earlier in terms of the global context so so yes on the face of it um, electric arc furnace does reduce the amount of CO2 and and it does make use of scrap material but globally we need a mix of both yeah. to satisfy that steel demand yeah and isn't it interesting how the how the world changes because I remember you know when I was a youngster um, my father always used to be much more careful about electricity as opposed to gas in a way because it was so much more expensive and I guess uh, you know now we would say every time you change an energy source you you lose some of its efficiency and and, and electricity is still expensive but with with renewable energy coming on stream and becoming cheaper the whole dynamic changes doesn't it because all of a sudden you can say, well, I can use electricity in all good faith that it's not having a negative impact on the environment or, or to a growing extent, at least. Well, that, that is true. And I guess that is a point with electric arc furnaces that um, it, it, I guess it's only as green as the electricity that you're using to, to power it. Mm. So uh, that picture will obviously improve as, as our national grid decarbonises mm. uh, over the next 10 to 15 years. But I think what we should also remember is that um, lots of industry will also be uh, using electrification, so displacing fuel use in other areas with, with electricity. So the demands um, from society to, to use more electricity will also increase. So that, that will put a strain on, on infrastructure and, and generation capacity as well. Yeah, and interesting. And we know what happens when there's competition, the price goes up and it's not just a, a market demand uh, issue, is it? It's a legislative issue with, uh, you know, certainly in the news at the moment, there's a lot of pressure on the government about capping energy costs. And, uh, you know, who knows where that's going to go? Because if you're going to invest in a technology like an electric arc furnace, you know, you're going to invest in that for, I don't know, the life of electric arc furnace, but, you know, blast furnace is 20 years, I guess, an arc furnace is something similar, you know, that you don't want to be gambling that amount of money based on um, energy costs, do you? No, that, that's right. And, and I think the stage that we're at now, we are looking at all of our options. And, and when you consider that, um, you know, the, the change that is required for our industry and the investment that's required, um, we, we're probably only going to get one shot at this. So it's got to be the right one. So it, it pays for us to do our homework and, and to you know make the, the right option selection yeah. and get the right technologies in place. And it does get quite complex quite quickly. And I know... Um, you know, we're lining up uh, in future podcasts to talk about, you know, the specifics of the technologies and, and to go into that in a bit more detail. But, uh, you know, I, I understand arc furnaces commonly also use some virgin materials, but but used through a much more 
um, environmentally friendly route they call direct reduced iron. I don't know if you can explain that in, in very simple terms. Yeah, so I guess this is a way of um, perhaps using alternative fuels to, to, in the same way that we get iron from a blast furnace, to to um, to reduce the iron, um, but using alternative means. So typically, you would either use natural gas, um, but there is there are you know there are ways that you could also use hydrogen. And the benefits of using hydrogen are that when when you combust it, um, all that you get instead of CO2 with uh, traditional fossil fuels with hydrogen, you just get water vapor. So it is a it is a cleaner, more environmentally friendly way of of uh, reducing or getting the the iron from virgin materials. Yeah. But that, there is, there is a caveat with that, and that is, always know, how do you generate your hydrogen? You know where where does that come from? And and I guess it's the same, um, it's analogous really to what we've just discussed about uh, electrification. So if you're using, if you're combusting natural gas or, or stripping, um, doing methane reformation, then to, to get your hydrogen, then that, that will result in CO2 being emitted unless you can capture that. Yeah. Or you could renew, use renewable sources to, to generate that uh hydrogen using electrolysis but that again adds cost and and, and capacity is is constrained on that as well so yeah and it's not just the uh, it's not just the, cre the creation of hydrogen through those routes it's a, it's a whole infrastructure around it isn't it getting it from from where it's made to where it's used uh, it's a massive project and again probably an, a, another topic to pick up on a, on a later podcast but so listen we've talked about current technology to making steel or certainly the, the, the big ones but making a fundamental change from one technology to another in our type of industry any intent energy intensive industry is absolutely huge it's a massive decision we've talked about the scale of the costs but also the the longevity of that that new technology you know we're talking billions of pounds here and years to enact and you know, given the current situation with the, with the climate, so some some describes a crisis. What is it that energy intensive industries such as ours can do right now until those changes can be implemented? Yeah, no, it's a good question, Tim. I, I think it's it's fair to say that um, you know, in terms of the public's consciousness, that climate change has, has changed dramatically. You know, it, we've seen it rise to the forefront, and it, and it is. The most pressing issue that, that we face yeah. um, and, and it's fair to say that we have been conscious of it for a long time um, we've we've been working on it for a long time and, and we have been making progress so there's lots that we've been doing in the company um, over recent years to you know to address some of these issues and and perhaps just to take you through a few so kind of influence you know influencing factors what can we what can we improve now yeah so, like uh, raw materials, how we source it, you know, is there anything that we can do to source things more locally, the quality of materials as well. So that there, are, there are teams that are looking at that and, and actively trying to optimise that all the time. Uh, similarly for the steel making process, so we talked about the off gases that we generate, yeah. the, the works arising gases that we generate as, as part of that steel making process. So we, we're constantly trying to optimise the efficient use of those and, and to reduce the amount that, uh, you know, the wastage. Uh, and that's the same for, for anything really across our processes, whether it's steel making or iron making, minimising that, that waste or, or waste that we get would get through um, a process and environment. Yeah. 
trying to increase our self-sufficiency. So things like, um, just to give you an example, uh, we recently announced and commissioned the £37 million turbo alternator, uh, which increased our generation capacity by 30 megawatts in, in Port Talbot. So that investments like that really help our self-sufficiency. Um, so that's using our own waste gases from steelmaking processes to generate our own electricity such that we don't have to draw it from the grid. Exactly, yes, that's right. So we, we, we're reducing our reliance on external energy sources and trying to be more energy self-sufficient. Yeah. And, and But that's also true for our downstream facilities and other areas. So energy efficiency plays a, a strong role in this. Um, we've been doing lots of work to introduce things like variable speed drives, LED lighting. Shotton currently is undergoing a site-wide replacement of its lighting, uh, so upgrading to LED, and that will vastly reduce the uh, the energy that's used across its lighting fleet. So something like a 60% reduction wow. straight away. So it, all of these things add up. Uh, yield as well. Yield is a is a crucial thing that we can influence. So if, if you think... Every ton of steel that we, um, I guess, uh, we're not able to process effectively in our downstream facilities. Yeah. If you think about the CO2 that's embodied in that steel, so roughly two tonnes of CO2 are emitted for every tonne of steel that we produce. So wow. minimising the waste in our downstream uh, facilities has a massive impact on our overall carbon footprint. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's something you don't think of. You think about the the visible gas is coming off but you don't think about this that, that term used there embedded carbon is not obvious to everyone is it no it's not but uh, it, it definitely plays a, a role in in you know things that we can actively do now to, to control mm. or influence our our performance on co2 i think the other probably areas that uh, that i would suggest as well and, and perhaps strain into other topics that you will think, <laughs> things like steel and you so our products um, how can we um, give product offerings that that improve the um, the steel? Sorry, the CO two performance of our customers. So things yeah. like um, high strength steels being used to lightweight vehicles reduce the energy that they need throughout their lifetime. And there are lots of examples of of um, where our products have gone into uh, into customers' products to reduce the CO two footprint of those as well. Yeah, yeah. I think we've got a long history and you and I have been in the industry long enough to remember. I mean, most of the sectors, you know, I can't I can't remember a time in my career when we weren't looking at, you know, reducing the weight, increasing the strength uh, yeah. for exactly this reason. And, you know, things like, um, you know, steel cans for food, you know, they, they have to be transported from from plant to plant and, 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 and every bit of lightweight you can do in, in each tin can means it uses less in transport for example and, and i think the same is in construction the same will be in uh, in automotive and so on and so forth so i think we've been at it for a long time yeah no very much so and, and that's that's true for our supply chains as well so that that is something that we are trying to do actively to reduce uh co2 emissions in our supply chains but you're right we also have an impact with our products in in everybody else's supply chain so uh, so yes it's it's been an active area for a while that. And of course, at the end of the day, we talked before about recycling and uh, we recycle a lot. And, uh, you know, but that doesn't, as I say, doesn't come about by chance. But to enable steel to be recycled, you know, our industry, particularly in the UK, has been very active, hasn't it, with uh, with recycling companies, local authorities to 
you know, we talked about the route for hydrogen, the infrastructure of hydrogen. It's exactly the same for the recycling route for steel, isn't it? To to get it from consumers back into the to the furnaces. It is, yeah. That that that's definitely something that we've been working on for a long time. Is is our efficiency, our material efficiency, and I guess you know just to bring that back to society as well. So material efficiency is is one of the one of the easiest. Well, not probably not the easiest, but um, it is one of the things that we can do to reduce CO two. So you know just to think about it, if we use half as as much material for twice as long. Then we will quarter our emissions, and and that that's definitely true for society. So, as much as we can do to to reduce, reuse, recycle, you know, the the hierarchy of, of recycling, then uh, and the more that we can do to to reduce carbon. Yeah, it's a great story, and Paul, I kind of uh, kind of coming towards the end of our time together today, and uh, you know, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because there's some really really big issues, you know, some big requirements from society of steel in almost everything you can think of but some big impacts on the environment and you know some of those changes are are technological leaps they certainly require you know a huge amount of money uh, some time some some government investment or support in, in whichever way it goes things like energy policies are, as are important but you know what the story you've told today is saying well that that's a big decision and it's going to be made sometime and hopefully uh, sooner rather than later but in the meantime our industry is not hanging around and waiting for that those big changes to happen and making you know huge changes wherever we go and uh, you know i don't know what it adds up to in terms of tons of co2 and i, and I don't suppose you do either but uh, you know are you convinced that we're, we're doing as much as we can in the absence of a sort of singular technology change yeah i think so and i think you, you mentioned about our industry as well i think one of the things that i would point to is we're not trying to do this on our own. Of course, there are things that, that we need to do to influence our own performance, but we are working across our regions that we operate in to, to uh, with other industry to, to look at what we can do to decarbonise on, on a regional basis. So, for example, we are heavily involved with the South Wales Industrial Cluster. We've secured funding through a, a government scheme to support work that we're doing, engaging um, partners across the region in South Wales to understand how we can work together and decarbonise the whole region in a way that kind of supports each other and and brings down the cost of, of some of the infrastructure that is required. So we are looking across the board in terms of technology options and we're doing what we can to, to support uh, decarbonisation of our, of our own assets, but also in partnership with, uh, with others. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you make there about the South Wales Industrial Cluster. And, you know, maybe we'll uh, ask Chris Williams to, to join us in a future podcast. But that idea about companies, local authorities, governments coming together uh, for, for the kind of good of society is a really interesting concept. And it makes you try and envision what, in this instance, the South Wales Industrial Cluster, what, what, what that environment might look like in the future. And, you know, amongst all of those stakeholders I mentioned there about, you know, government and, and local authorities and industry, the one that I haven't mentioned maybe is academia. And, um, and, and you know, very fortunate in Portalba to have uh, Swansea University next door. And we've got some activities with uh, Specific who are looking into energy efficient housing, amongst other things, aren't they? And, and steel as a fundamental uh, material to allow some of those technologies to happen. So, yeah, you must be feeling pretty positive about the direction of travel 
Yeah, I think we have a lot of positive stories to tell um, where we've uh, engaged in research projects, we've engaged with academia. Um, we've recently just completed a project that's been funded with, with the European Research Funding to, to demonstrate waste heat technologies on our site. So at Morpha Coke Ovens, uh, at the uh, the autumn of last year, we we had a um, a waste heat recovery on uh, unit on site that was generating electricity from heat that would otherwise just just be wasted. Um, so that that's a fantastic example. But I think the other benefits that we have in terms of working with academia is that um, we we um, I guess are a pipeline as well. We we help to generate some of the um, expertise. That's required. So, so we work with, uh, we provide an industrial setting um, for for a lot of those um, students, and we can provide supervision, and and that really supports uh, some of the skills and and I guess technical uh, know-how for for um, decarbonisation and 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 I guess understanding what technologies are needed for the future. Yeah, it, and, and it is probably a, a, an over-ignored aspect of our industry as a training ground for you know young technical people, young scientists, data analysts, metallurgists, and so on and so forth. But for the whole of the UK, you know, and and we've got fantastic training schemes, fantastic environment in which pretty much everything is possible, isn't it? Uh, and and that shouldn't be underestimated. And I know, I know certainly, you know, that local and national governments do appreciate our role in within that as an industry partner so listen Paul we've gone through a huge amount today uh probably lost more than we than we ever thought we would and um, and we will certainly be coming back to some of those topics and, and getting other people to come and talk about some of those uh those aspects and I know we're going to get Russell Codling on I think to talk about the, the market and the demand from the market and 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 how important it is for decarbonizing steel for the rest of the manufacturing supply chain mentioned maybe getting Chris Williams on and, and I know we'll be talking to Richie Hart about you know the 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 choices that we have to make soon about the technologies but listen Paul I'm very grateful for you today to sharing so many of those uh, great stories about not only explaining uh, the role of carbon in how steel is made in current technologies but also you know the huge variety and number of schemes that have been underway for a number of years which are already in reducing our carbon footprint uh, and setting us on on the right direction so Listen, thanks very much for uh, joining us, Paul. And uh, as things progress, you never know, we might get you back another time. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to this episode of Steelcast. If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Tar Steel UK and in this series, our journey towards decarbonisation, why not subscribe through Podbean, Spotify, Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time. (laughs) 